What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. It's been a great week for topics for Uncle Chael, and coming up on today's show, I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about the middleweights. We've got a huge main event Saturday between Cannoneer and Strickland. You know what? Nick Diaz is saying that he wants to get a piece of Israel Adesanya, and I'm going to tell you why I think Darren Till has much more to offer. But before, I want to continue dealing with the fallout from UFC 282 and what it means for the future of the light heavyweight division, as well as the little talk on Patty Pimblett. Well, Patty Pimblett, guys, I mean, this has taken on a life of its own. Just this decision. Was this the wrong decision? Things going around the internet, somebody had a camera on Dana for Dana's immediate reaction. Now, what that means is Dana's standing cage side, and when Bruce Buffer reads the announcement, they had a camera on Joe Rogan. Exact same situation. Joe's in the cage with the, with the microphone. They read the announcement. There's a camera on Joe's face, and you're supposed to read his eyes and read his reaction, whether he agrees with it. 24 sports reporters were cage side, scoring the match. 23 of them had it for Gordon, and I said that wrong. There was 25 cage side. 24 to 1. Headed to Gordon. I post a survey right here to you guys on YouTube. And 70,000 of you weighed in. I mean, 70,000 smart people, which is what you are, weighed in on an opinion. It was Gordy by, uh, Gordon by 84%. 84% said Gordon won this fight. Now, the only reason that I'm bringing this to you, it's not what I saw. It's just not what I saw. And in fairness to what I thought I did see, Gordon could have won that fight 30-27 and I would not complain. Do you want to know the other side of the coin? Patty could have won that fight 30-27 I wouldn't complain. I thought it was really competitive. And I've had people grab me and say, hey, you got to rewatch it. Chael, there's no way your eyes don't understand this sport, you, you, you must have been in a different headspace. You must have not been paying attention. So then I start to believe it. I think, well, is that what happened? Did I not see that right? I mean, I came away with a lot, including about Patty's chin. I mean, Gordon was touching him and often and hard. And Patty was dealing with it. Patty was meaningfully bigger. I mean, he found a way to really weaponize that weight cut. But those, those are good observations. That's all I'm sharing. I mean, I, I have good observations towards that fight to be leaning towards the camp of HL rewatch it. This was really obvious. And I was told that there was two rounds that were obvious for Gordon. One and three. That they were obvious for Gordon. And that two was obvious, and it was obvious for Patty. That's just not what I saw, guys. That's why I'm just asking you. I'm not fighting about this. I'm just asking you. I thought I'd be the smartest guy in the room and everybody would steal my phrase. Well, Gordon could have won 30-27, but Patty could have won 30-27. It was a really close fight. I thought that was objective and I thought that made sense and I'm that's still where I'm at. And a, a, great, a great foundation or focus group, rather, is just the live audience, whether they boo or not. That's not a perfect science. Like, that's not what I'm saying a good decision or a bad decision is, is the crowd's drunken reaction. But I will share with you that that is generally a piece of robberies. I can't think of another one where that wasn't an element. And I didn't hear that. 
at all. So Ariel does a piece. And Arrow was done with the judge, and then you had Big John McCarthy weigh in. And Big John McCarthy, as the highest-ranking voice, but his son was one of the judges, and his son saw it for Patty. So there's just a level of objectiveness to that, right? If John's going to speak out on something and be consistent, as he has done his entire career, and now he has a built-in conflict, and the fact that John still said the unanimous judges had it wrong. By unanimous, I mean there was a descending judge, split decision. Um, all right, so what do you make of all that? And when I talk about the crowd will boo as a commonality, that is one thing. MMA fans, I mean, they're all over the board. I'm one of them. I'm all over the board. It's not consistent. You're not going to love having us as fans. We're very fickle, right? I'm, I'm part of that. They want they want the right call. I mean, MMA fans have always been that way. They will be cheering for a specific guy. When that fight is over, if it goes his way and it shouldn't have, they will boo. That's not science right there, what I'm saying. That's possibly not even a great piece of evidence, but it's one that I'm bringing to you because it helped to support me when I was at home on the couch, not knowing who won this fight and knowing it could be 30-27. Either way, I think the crowd was just as confused and lost. Joe Rogan looked surprised. I think Joe Rogan has weighed in on this. I think I saw a clip where he weighed in on it. I didn't catch his piece yet. And what do you guys think? It's to the point that it's hurting Patty in one regard, which is now the fellow boys are speaking up and saying he's not as good as advertised. If you put Patty in there with a top guy in that division, he gets smoked. And it's just not what I saw. It's just not what I saw. I think first off with that narrative, and those narratives can be accurate even if they're rude, but I will just share the rudeness. So you're not understanding how good Gordon is. Gordon went into that fight 19 and four. If I'm wrong, it was 19 and five. That is a very impressive record. Sprung into a main event. There was massive media that he wasn't used to. A lot of guys buckled to it. He rose to the occasion. I'm just sharing for you. If you thought Gordon looked extra good or extra special, you're just not familiar with his fights. That's how he fights. He is in your face. He does not back down. He does not wilt. Gordon is a great competitor, and he's a true tough guy. Like, that performance by Gordon wasn't something special. That's Gordon. That's how Gordon fights. You just didn't know. So I'll bring, I'll bring you the rude factor when people say, you know, Patty, Patty beating him, but he, he didn't look good, and he couldn't go with the top guys, man. You... Gordon's already gone with the top guy. He's 19 and four. That's an incredible record. All right, here, let me move on from that and get to the other side of it, which is there was great adversity. You know, when you're in a fight, you really know who's winning. I mean, most times you, you've just got a really good idea. I'm down two. I, I'm in the last round. Ponzo Nebo style. I've got to finish this guy. Whether Ponzo says that he knew he was down or not, right? You, you've got this pretty good idea. Alex Piera might be a a finer example that you guys just saw where he knew going into the fifth, there was only one way and it creates an urgency. 
and it changes the way that you're going to go out there and perform. It will change your strategy in the moment. It's a very cool thing, and I just didn't see that urgency. I didn't see it from Patty, and I didn't see it from Gordon. And I thought the reason I didn't see it is but it wasn't because they were underperforming, because they both had a pretty good idea where this was at. Gordon held Patty. I mean, Gordon did do some stuff to Patty that doesn't add to the idea of a long career. See, Patty, Patty's not a young guy. Patty's 28. Patty's 29. I mean, he's not a young guy. He's a new guy, and he looks a little bit younger. But before you get lost and think he's 22, 23, 24, before you think he's one of these guys and he's got all sorts of time, he does not. And there's a certain way and certain indicators to your career. Are you going to be able to extend it? One of them, the weight cut, the ballooning, the up and down, does not lend to a long time. And the other thing was how much Patty got hit. Now, I'm sitting over here talking about the other side of the coin, and I'm bragging about his chin. I'm bragging about his jaw. I thought he could take one hell of a punch. But the other side of the coin is you don't, you don't get stronger in these fights. It is a massive misconception. He's got the experience factor. Experience is a bad thing in MMA. You've only got so many bullets, and when you fire them, you are done. But that goes defensively as well. You take those shots on the chin, your chin doesn't get better. It gets weaker every time you take one of those. And Patty took a lot of hits. He took them very well. He's got a hell of a job. I'm just sharing with you. We're not in a situation with Patty where we can continue to take a bunch of time. This is not a young man. He's had over 20 fights. And if you see something like that, you know the guy's weight is yo-yoing, and then he's taking a whole bunch of shots on top of that. It's one of these things where when you're talking about what's next for Patty, well, the typical school of thought is we're just going to keep it in the same pool that we're at. Little lesser known guy, little less pressure, keep him out of a main event, don't have those championship rounds, let him sell a whole bunch of tickets, have some fun at a press conference. That's a theory that you do need to go with from a level of responsibility, for sure, at times with guys, and Patty would appear to be that. I'm just sharing with you, he's not the young guy you think he is. He doesn't have a decade left in this sport. He doesn't have close to a decade left in this sport. It is time to get on with it and get on with it now. When you're talking about what's next with Patty, keep him away from the top guys. Well, let's test that theory. I think he's a hell of a lot better than he's getting credit for. I think one of the reasons he's not getting credit for it is you guys are misunderstanding how good Gordon is. Go familiarize yourself with Gordon. You're asking me to go rewatch the fight. That's fair. But I'm asking you to go familiarize yourself with Gordon. Let's, let's all come back. Let's have this conversation one more time. guys, the spotlight has been on 205 pounds for the past few weeks, and today I want to spin the narrative forward by taking a look at the future of the division, UFC 283, and a crazy idea I've got for that night. Can Jamal Hill beat Glover Teixeira? I mean, I, I gotta tell you, that's not a thought that I've had until right now. Can Jamal win that fight? I would look at that and I would just think, Everything is favoring Glover, right? Your preparation to something is 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 so important. And while this is a life's work, boy, that last two months leading into it, they sure are an important two months. 
I look at Glover Teixeira, he's getting a double training camp here, right? I mean, he, he trained for December 10th. Peak, ready to go. I got to see Glover at the, the MMA Awards. I mean, he just, he looked fantastic. Sure, he got his motivation a little bit chopped. Then he got a little pep back under his step. Sure, all of those things happened. But he was prepared for a five-round fight. And this is a guy who weaponizes pace. Most shocking thing about Glover losing to Prohaska was that Glover lost a fifth round at all. Glover to share does not lose fifth rounds. Go find me an example where that's not true. Glover to share just doesn't lose fifth rounds. That's when he comes on. It's when he does some of his finest work. So you got a guy that's in really good shape. That's relevant to know. Not to mention he got tipped off. Oh, now not to mention, well, we're going to give him another month and we're going to send him to the place he wants to fight most in the world. It's a, it's a pretty meaningful thing that should favor Glover. But there's a lot of other numbers that don't. Youth alone is a meaningful number. Jamal Hill's reach alone. Jamal Hill's a problem. Jamal's a very big problem. And I don't think that you're going to find a whole lot of fights that he has where you go, oh, no, this guy is beatable. You're not going to find the Paul Craig fight. Like, before you come out and tell me, oh, Chael, you don't think Jamal's beatable, go watch the Paul Craig guy. You're not going to see anything in the Paul Craig fight that you think that you could duplicate. You're not going to see anything in the Paul Craig fight that you would think that Paul himself could even go duplicate. It was a great performance. It was a great position. It was just, it was one of these awesome moments. And it was a, for Paul. I mean, Paul was floating around and moving off the small of his back, like Gordon Ryan. It really was. Uh, Paul cried, watched him do his, my goodness, a 205 pounder. How are you moving so well? But I, but I've seen other Paul Craig fights and, and he, he doesn't. I mean, that it was a good performance and it was a good position and it was an awesome moment. I don't think you're going to see any blueprint out of that where you think, oh, here, let me just uh, let Jamal get on top of me in the middle of the octagon. Yeah, that's what I want to do. Let him punch me a few times. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. And I'm going to grab his arm. It's one of those, it's one of those things. What are you going to do to Jamal Hill to beat him? Well, I, I think you do have an answer before you get too into it. Before you go, well, you know, Glover's skills are really good here. I, I get it. Glover's the champion of the world. Glover's the number one contender. I, I fully understand this. I'm just sharing with you. Before we bank on the idea that Glover is going to win the fifth round like Glover always does, save one. Before we bank on the idea that championship rounds are going to go to Glover and they're going to favor Glover, before we do that, do we have any evidence that Jamal Hill fades? Have you seen Jamal Hill fade? Is that a rumor that you even hear out of the practice room? And it's a true thing with some guys, right? Particularly some power guys. Boom, boom, boom. They're going to stop you or they're not going to win. Do you remember Robbie Lawler? All through his career. I mean, Robert, Robbie got to be like 32 years old before... He figured this out and changed it. But Robbie was going to stop you. Or he wasn't going to beat you. He's going to bring, he's going to bring it right now. He's going to bring a storm. And looking around for the body of his career since the first time he popped on television at 19 years old. Not very many guys could survive that storm. But if they did, it looked pretty good for him later in the fight. I just offer that as an example to you where this is a common thing, but I don't know that we've ever seen that from Jamal Hill. I haven't. I haven't seen that. Jamal did an interview with Ariel, and it was just this wonderful, it was just this wonderful moment in sport. 
and Ariel's production team took the interview and they put a little music to it. They put a little sound to it. And I mean, it was almost not a dry eye type stuff. And he talked about his motivation going into this fight. And he said, his motivation is my biggest fear in life. This is Jamal speaking. He said, my biggest fear in life is that I would die someday and never know how good I was. And what Jamal is talking about is opportunity. I would never be given my opportunity. And I'm going to add some words to this. I'm going to change them just a little bit. But this is what Jamal said. I can live with it either way. Not being the best is okay with me. Being the best is okay with me. My fear was not finding out that someday this all ends and my time and my races ran. And I never had the answer to the question. And that is powerful stuff, at least for me. I felt the same thing. I knew exactly what he's talking about. I would show up to competitions and people tell you, you can't win and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you, you don't understand. I know. I know that that's one possibility. But I'll walk out there and deal with whatever shame or embarrassment or let what whatever that is that you're self-projecting, I will deal with it because that answer will be better than not being sure and not having the chance to prove if you're right or if a different theory is right. I just got it when Jamal said it on a personal level. And if that was, because your emotions will change, right? Your emotions will change drastically. You got a lot of pep under your step. This is a this is an opportunity. And there's stuff that we don't know. I mean, there's pay and figures and there's things that happen and they just change when you get elevated to a main event of a pay-per-view, just the way it goes. So there's things where he would have a little bit of pep in his step. But if he can keep those, if he can grab hold of those emotions and he can keep them, going out and competing with that mindset is very fascinating, right? We're 30 days away. 21 days away from getting on a jet and headed out there. Might not sound like a long time, but things change. They change as soon as you land. They change again when you walk out in that arena and they're all booing you. They change again when you feel as the, right? I mean, I, I, I could just keep playing this game. If Jamal is able to stay pretty steady, and that is really where he's at, where he doesn't think about Glover. See, that's the biggest problem that athletes run into. They think about the outcome or they think about the opponent. When all you want to focus on is the performance. Now, that's easy for easier for me to say than do. But you always want to think about the performance. Let the outcome take care of itself. And don't fight the guy. Don't fight the reputation. You got to fight the movements. You got to take his face out of it. Any, anybody they put in here with me is going to have two arms and two legs. And they, and they can use any of them under the unified rules. I've got to watch this movement and this mannerism. And I've got to be able to stop it. And I've got to be able to do my attacks. Right? When you can start to break it down in those small categories and truly not worry about who the opponent is. Not know the things that I'm saying to be true. Which is that Glover can push hard. That Glover's still going to be there in the fourth round just as hard as he was in the first. Are you? Don't get into that stuff. Just get it. Just, just the movements, just the positions. Get that face out of there. Get that reputation. Just deal with the body. If you, if you can truly do those things, you can perform above your skill set. That would be the mental side that everybody is trying to master. 
And if Jamal is truly in that spot of it does not matter to me, in comparison to never getting the chance to find out in the first place, if that is truly where he's at, where he can stay, he can and will perform above his level. Backup fighter. Guys, you know I love the position. I just think it's great. It's very hard to have goals in this sport, and most of these guys are very driven anyway. But if you can really have a goal and a, and a purpose, and one of the most important things with that is the finish line. That's just that's the, the most important thing to know that will give you a self-motivation, something will just make you have an urgency in getting up in the morning, getting your shoes on, and getting out the door for that run, is having that finish line and know it's approaching. And not only from a competition standpoint, but also from a caloric standpoint. Because now you have a scale. That's another competition. That's one that doesn't get enough credit. I don't think you guys know how many men have retired from this sport because of that opponent that they have the day before you see him on TV. They're retiring from the sport because they don't want to make the weight anymore. Okay, look, before I digress, I love the position. And I also think particularly in recent memory when you just look what happened to Volkanovski. Volkanovski, backup fighter, gets himself in shape, gets adjusted to this new weight class of 155, actually goes through the process one time, right? Everybody's talking about when he goes and fights Islam, it's his first time at 155. No, not really. I mean, not really. When you go through a training camp for that, you cut the weight, you hit the scale at that, you rehydrate the next day, not knowing if you're going to have to go get in there. And then you can start to check these things, right? Whenever you have something quantifiable like numbers, it's very helpful. The guy wants to come out, he, I, don't, I don't know, I hope I've gotten stronger. How do you not know? There's a number on those weights. Are you lifting more or not? Right, but it's very helpful. Your shape, and you can really tie that, get that one-mile run and get that two-mile run, and you can start to clock these things and at least track your own trends and see where you were at X time before your last contest in comparison to X time before my next contest. I, I, I'm just sharing this with you that it's a very helpful position. And Volkanovski even got a lot of credit for it. And they also, I mean, Volkanovski had to work for it. He talked about that for... Eight weeks before that was officially his. And I say that because him getting that nod is a win. All right, you want a certain opponent. You need to get things done to get that opponent. But this opportunity isn't any different. It is officially bestowed on somebody. And that person gets credit. But they that person is now not only trying to help themselves and get in a good position, right? Real self-motivated. There is a financial participation here. Small enough, we don't need to talk about it. And by the time you pay your coaches and trainers, it's not. But you're also, it is definitely a morale boost that you're getting from the organization. I think that that should go to Anthony Smith. Now, should anybody else be trying for it? Because everything that I just said is true, even if you don't insert Lionheart. 
even if you don't insert is that there's still all true th there's still a competition going on there's still a match coming up there still is a financial participation there is still travel and paperwork and a weigh-in process that will really get you some very good experience. You want experience in the fight business? That right there, what I just described, is way better than getting in the cage. I mean, I hear people talk about it all the time. And it's true in other sports where experience is helpful. It is not helpful in combat. People were counting out Islam Makhlchev because he hadn't taken on guys in top five. That's helpful to Islam Makhlchev. He would be worse and more worn down once he takes on the guys in the top five. He stayed fresh. All right. So as I'm moving past this, you could take a good look, right? Because, see, don't forget, Anthony Smith has accepted an invitation to train with Jamal Hill. So you now don't just have Anthony Smith willing to take this spot. You have Jamal Hill's training partner willing to take this spot. Would it go both ways? What if he had to jump in there with Jamal? Do you guys like that story? Does that add to the story? Do we need to have two backup fighters? Anthony's the backup should Jamal pull out. But Alex Piera is the backup. Should Glover pull out? Now, that's a fantastic way to run this angle. That won't get done. The UFC and the marketing team don't agree with me. And... I don't know that I'm right because we've never tried it. It would be an experiment. But there is a promotional tool, and I believe it to be a massive one, with that backup fighter. It goes overlooked. They just don't discuss it. It, may, it creates for confusion within the audience. It's not a direction they want to go. It takes some spotlight off the feature guys. I mean, there's a number of reasons why I can't get my way. But you can't tell me for sure it'd be wrong because we don't know, right? It would be an experiment. And I think that there is a massive story to tell there that Anthony Smith is going to be the backup for Jamal Hill if something happens to Team Jamal. That he's in the room, he's training with him right now. And Anthony will represent that arm. If you do that in conjunction with Piera being the backup for Team Glover, and I don't think it takes a spotlight off of two guys. I think you create a real conversation now, and you got parity between four guys. I think you start to have this, well, what if they both fold in? What if Jamal and Glover got hurt? You're going to see Piera versus Anthony Smith. Who do you think wins it? I mean, you're, it will never stop. It's fun. I think it's a good thing. It's an experiment. It's never been tested. It's not the direction anybody's going to go. It's just my suggestion. But should something like that be happening? I don't believe that when nobody is vocal and say they want the backup position, that Dana's going to give that position to somebody who hasn't asked. I don't believe any 205 pattern is going to get a, hey, Uncle Live, you want to be the backup position? All right, great. That went, he didn't ask for it. Anthony has asked for it. He's the only one that's asked for it. I believe it will go to Anthony or it goes to nobody, right? It's not a terribly consistent rule. I was stunned to get to Madison Square Garden and to find out there was not a backup fighter for Adi Sanya versus Piera. I was curious. I was, well, who's it going to be? And those secrets do stay one time. So, uh, go back to Madison Square Garden. Vincent Luque came through the curtain at 9 in the morning, and that's when we found out he was the backup fighter 
for Kamara Usman, Colby Covington, part two. So, I mean, sometimes they do keep it under wrap. Volkov's the first ever backup fighter I've seen. I never know what the term was. I'm doing a weigh-in show on ESPN with Ariel Hawani. He walks through the curtain. Neither Ariel and I. We had no idea what he was doing there. Well, then we found out about it, and then we liked it a lot. I still like the backup position. Anthony Smith for backup fighter. You want to go further? You want to have some fun with it? Anthony Smith for Jamal Hill. Alex Piera will fill in for Glover to share. Guys, tell me, and all the ideas that you've heard lately, that's not the worst. I love dressing up. Who doesn't like looking nice and feeling confident when they step out? I like to think I look pretty well put together. The one thing that is a pain is finding the right dress shirt. That's always hard because most of the time dress shirts are so stiff or they wrinkle really easy. The dress shirt has been due for a radical reinvention and Roan stepped up to the challenge. Roan's commuter shirt is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible shirt I have ever worn and here's why. Roan's comfortable four-way stretch fabric provides breathability and flexibility that leaves you free to enjoy whatever life throws your way. Let me tell you, this is not your grandfather's dress shirt. It's a classy and sharp, while yet comfortable, stretchy and wrinkle-free shirt. I didn't know we could have had all of this in one shirt, but Roan figured it out with Gold Fusion. The anti-odor technology, you'll be smelling fresh and clean all day long. On top of that, Roan is 100% machine washable, so you can ditch extra trips to the dry cleaner and your cans of starch. Guys, I run hot, especially when I wear dress shirts. It's hard for me not to sweat in a long sleeve in front of the lights. Since I have to dress up so often, I've been trying to find a dress shirt that is a little more breathable while still maintaining a dressed up look. I found that combo in Roan. The commuter shirt can get you through any work day and straight into whatever comes next. Head to Roan.com slash Chael. R-H-O-N-E dot com slash Chael. Use the promo code Chael to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to Roan. R-H-O-N-E dot com slash Chael and use the promo code Chael. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Fellas, do you sometimes lack confidence in the bedroom? There's nothing worse than not being able to perform when the time is right. I know many of you can relate, so have no fear. RexMD is now here. RexMD is FDA approved and the most trusted leader in men's telehealth. They have sponsored this episode to help you always be prepared. RexMD has made it simple, easy, and cost-effective to help all men out there last longer and feel more confident in the bedroom. I know this can be an embarrassing topic to bring up. Most guys hate going to the doctor for anything, let alone something like this. But I'm here to tell you RexMD has made the whole process quick and easy with just a few clicks of the button. You can talk to a medical professional, create a personalized plan, and get the products discreetly shipped straight to your door within two days. No waiting rooms, no embarrassing trips to the doctor, no insurance and no copays. They can also help with overall sexual health 
hair growth, pain relief, and sleep aid. RexMD has already helped over 300,000 guys gain confidence quickly and conveniently. Act now to take advantage of their best deal yet by heading to RexMD.com jail. Our exclusive deal will save you up to 90% off where you're only going to pay $2 per dosage. Starter packs of generic Viagra or Cialis are now available for our listeners to get started. That's rexmd.com slash chael for up to 90% off. Darren Till, guys, there's a lot going on here. Um, I do want you to understand this. I do want you to hear some of the things that were said, particularly by Dana. Let's break this down. Darren Till lost four of his last five. Now, it doesn't feel like that. If I was to just start like that, it doesn't feel like that. When I read that stat, it surprises me. Four of his last five, I don't know what that means. Like, did he, did it, was it four in a row and he won one or, or he, he slipped a win in there? I can't remember. And the reason I say it like that is you know guys like that. You know times like that. Here, I'll give you a great example. I have to remind myself often that Michael Chandler lost to Justin Gaethje. When I think about that fight, I, it never crosses my... Oh, wait a minute. One of, one of these guys got the silver medal. It's just, it's one of those things. And Darren Till even got, he got whipped a few times. You go see his fight with Brunson. I'm not denying that. I'm just speaking to, he managed to stay extremely relevant. Darren Till was in extremely hard fights in very hard positions. You go play around with Brunson and then, and then get back to me how much you want to tease anybody, particularly somebody that loses a fight because they lose the top position. Brunson can fight, but Brunson can wrestle. So you got you guys never saw him wrestle. I'm just sharing with you. Okay, he, he lost four of his last five. It doesn't feel that way to me. So you go out with Duplices. Now, I have a big problem. And Till doesn't understand that I care. He doesn't understand that. Till even threatened me one time. He threatened me. It was a great threat. It really, this was, this was solid work by Till. But he holds up his phone and it says, you know, it says Chael Sonnen has got my phone number. But it's like, it's like blurred out the last four digits. And he says, if you talk about me again, I will put this number out. And I must tell you, I wilted and went away, but only kind of. I didn't know he did that. I coincidentally stopped talking about him. I didn't know that he had done that. Now, but here's why I say that. I'm critical when I speak of Till. And there's a young guy in the sport who you'll remember, C.B. Dalloway. And I was critical of C.B. Because I understood him. C.B. and I are the same guy. Mentally. The approaches, what's going to be good for us, and what ends up going again, we're the same guy. I understand a lot of what Till is doing. And there's things that I don't agree with, but I don't have any influence over him. He's not a guy that I could call up, and this is an old training partner, something along these lines. So I come and I make videos knowing they'll get to Till and hope that he considers them. And I will fully admit, that's a little bit weird by me. But I do understand him. I don't, when I tell you I don't like uh, things about that Till's doing, I don't like anybody that goes to Thailand to train. That's an MMA fighter. None, zero. And everybody that I know that went, boy, they loved it. They had a great experience. They can't wait to get back. I appreciate those things. 
but you are not going to be able to identify those very guys that went and worked their absolute tails and that loved it. They loved the hard work. They craved it. You're not going to be able to show me a long line of success. And it's hard. I mean, everybody that goes to Thailand, it's the same thing, which is how much running they do. They will start with a run that would be a normal person's entire workout. That's their warm-up. And if you don't complete it, you don't get to come to practice. So you go do your run. I imagine you got heat. I imagine you got some other things in Thailand. I imagine you're pretty tired after your run. Okay, great. Well, that, that's when practice starts. So you come in and you, you do your technique and you do your drills. Guess what you do? You go run and then you come back. And then you do your sparring sessions, and then guess what you go do? You go run. So, I mean, it's, it's just one of these things where that's going to work for some people. Some of you just got extremely turned off. Whoa, I'm not going to Thailand. I hate running. I, I understand that. I understand that fully. But there's other guys that genuinely crave hard work, and a coach that can make a, a workout hard through the form of running can convince and flip those guys that they have some kind of secret answers. It's a very common thing. When I grew up as a wrestler, all of the college programs in the summertime would have camps. And when you signed up for camp, you had two options. You could do what was called technique camp, or you could do intensive camp. And it didn't, it didn't matter what school was doing this. They both had these same two offerings. Now, if you went and did that, all intensive camp did that was different than technique camp is they ran. And I mean, they ran them and they ran them until they couldn't run. And then they ran them some more. They finished this camp off after a two-week uh, two period with a 10-mile run, which, you know, you got, you got junior high kids, you got high school kids. That's a very meaningful run. I'll, I'll share with you, wrestlers don't, don't go for 10 miles. I can share with you the guys that did that completed the furthest run that they had ever done. But this was a big honorable thing. Those guys were coming back and they were bragging and they were talking about how awesome it was. They weren't talking about an inside out trip. They weren't having a, a, a toonie high crotch or a low level single. Things that you could actually use in a wrestling match to score points. They were talking about how hard they worked and they were proud of themselves. And I, I fully understand that. But it was still a swerve and I never did it. I never did it. I went to the camps. I go to the technique. Why in the summertime? There's nothing going on in the summertime. Why in the hell do I care if I'm in great shape? This was just my perspective. Why am I possibly going to pay somebody to go torture myself to get in really great shape to then take five months off before the next match? I just personally didn't understand it. But I'm sharing with you conceptually, there are guys that get brought in and they think that this is the answers. And when they come back, they will always tell you that. Now, tie fighting is not overly effective. Tie fighting, which, I, which I've trained, my entire career, the first gym I joined was Mike Walrath's gym in Springfield, Oregon. That's all we did. It was a Muay Thai gym. I didn't have a jiu-jitsu gym or an MMA gym. I didn't do boxing. I mean, I'm, I'm a believer is what I'm sharing. I, I have the right to criticize. I'm part of that community. I'll just share with you while you're learning to use your entire body. You're learning elbows. You're learning knees. You're learning kicks. You're learning punches. You've got to know those things. Like as much as I'm giving Thai a hard time, you must train in Muay Thai. And I mean lots and lots of it. Muay Thai has a massive problem, which is head movement. You have seen okay boxers go over to kickboxing and Muay Thai and clean up. Clean up with almost no training. You don't see the world's greatest Muay Thai fighter come over to an okay boxer and do well. 
And the problem is just head movement. The defense in Muay Thai, quite, quite literally, the defense of Muay Thai, you put your hands up. And you got, you know, you got big gloves on. It's a good, solid shield. You put your hands up and you let this guy throw his combo on you. And when he gets done, he then puts his hands up and you do it back. So when you get into fisticuffs, particularly with small gloves, that doesn't work. If you watch Muay Thai or you even watch kickboxing, you will see this defense all night long. From the beginning, guys, to the world title fight in your main event, you will see it all night long. And guess what? It'll work. If you go watch MMA, you've never seen it once. And I do mean not once. You wouldn't even consider doing that when you have the little gloves on. The shield, it's not the hands up and the chin down that works. It's, it's the gloves that are blocking you. It's a very relevant fact. I don't know why guys go over and they train movies and they're throwing their little kicks and they're doing all this stuff. It doesn't translate, but it's never translated. Like, you're, you're not the first one. Everybody's the first one to go and try something. It works and you kind of gravitate to it. Guys have been doing this. Let's go to Thailand and train. They come back. It's never worked. Ever. It will get you knocked out. Now, the hill that I want to die on for Darren Till is not just the bitching about Thailand there. It's very relevant. I like that he's going to Thailand. I don't like that he's out going to Sweden. And I'm sure workouts with Hazmat Shemayev and that particular team are absolutely incredible. Now, if you want to do one of the two, I'm all in. That is an incredible gym out there in Sweden. But if you want to go set up shop there, you want to get a condo and that's your home. In your spare time, you're there. In your training time, you're there. That is massively different. Living out of a suitcase and jumping from town to town to town to town because you think they have the answers. It's very disciplined. It's very dedicated. There is an admirable side to it. It doesn't work in the pros. I mean, there's certain things that work. There's certain things that you do. You watch other guys. You don't reinvent the wheel. And I'm giving Darren a hard time only because I was in Vegas one time. I'm at the gym with Hazmat Shemaev, and we're waiting for Till to arrive. He was he was coming into the airport and going to come right there. What I'm sharing with you is without even speaking to Darren Till, I just told you four different places that he trains. It, it, that doesn't work. You must have consistent training under one coach's philosophy. Now, if you've got to move until you find that coach, you go right ahead. Don't float around. Don't do these things. Go out to Thailand and get this that never, ever, ever works in MMA. Never. And you justify it because you're working your ass off. You're sore and you're tired. Your body hurts. That must be a good thing. And this is where a lot of the mistakes are made. So Darren Till goes out, he fights Duplices. I mean, this, this this was great. This really was great. Duplices looked awesome. Duplices called out Paulo Costa. Look, I respect anybody that does that because nobody wants to fight Paulo Costa. You fight Paulo when you have to fight Paulo. And the rest of the time, you be nice to Paulo to hope that you don't have to fight Paulo. I'm sharing with you. I mean, that's how it works. This guy calls him out. And by the way, he looked like a mini Paulo. He really did. I mean, just his physical duplicities looks great, but he takes control of the match, and he went for a finish. If you win, if you go for a finish, you will not win a decision. And all that that means is if you go for the finish, you're not going to hold up all night. It's a risk. It's a calculated one. It's an important one that you take. And duplicities took it. And he's on top, and he's trying to get that finish, and all of a sudden those arms start to turn to rubber, and all of a sudden he doesn't get the finish. So while he's having this dominant, I mean, on his way to a 10-8 moment, this close to a stoppage, now he's back on his feet, he's exhausted. 
That's just what happened until started to take over. And guys, we've seen that story a million times, and it's an awesome one. I mean, the guy in Till's spot that can get up off the canvas from going through that and come back and win the fight, the audience doesn't understand this guy just punched him out. He doesn't, they don't understand what an adrenaline dump is, and quite frankly, they don't care. There's no excuses what happened here, but it's one of these great moments that looks really good, and Till is on his way to it. Everything is going swimmingly for Till. They go into third round, they're one apiece, but it's one apiece heavily favoring Till. If you could have took what they, what they call live game betting, so the match is going on and you can still cash a bet. Oh my God, this would Till would have been an eight to one favorite. I mean, really, he was looking that good. Everything was going his way. Till's hard to take down. Duplessis hits a double. It, it wasn't that, that good and Till just goes down. I mean, he just goes down like a bag of dirt. And by the way, they're, they're in the center of the octagon. This is bad. Duplessis works his way up and gets the arms around his neck. Okay, we all go home, but I, it was kind of more go, what did I just see? What just happened? And when I shared with you to start this, that Darren Till is apparently 4-1. and one. Going into this fight, he's 4-1. and one. He's now 5-1 and one in his last It doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel like Till went out there and got mauled on Saturday. It doesn't feel like Till's stock went down. It just doesn't. He then gets rewarded with fight of the night. I will tell you that was a little bit of a surprise for me. But it happened nonetheless, and Dana spoke about it, and they said, man, I don't even bring his record up to me. And this is important that you know this. You're, you're calling for him uh, to be gone. And Darren Till, there's a rumor that I believe that that was his last fight. They did not re-sign him, and therefore he's no longer with the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Are they going to come in and re-sign him? I don't know if Dana was aware of that when Dana made the following comment, which would be a very beautiful thing to tell. He said, man, I don't, I don't care. You go fight like that. He's not going out there and getting whipped. He's fighting the top guys, and he's, he's winning moments. He's winning rounds. He's very competitive, and they're awesome to watch. I'll take that guy all day long. It's just a beautiful thing from Dana at the right time. But I don't know where Till stands as far as his contract, and I don't know if Dana was aware that it was exhausted, which, by the way, I don't know is true. This is a rumor that I believe. I might my own little reasons for vetting and thinking that, that was accurate information. So we'll see where it goes for Darren Till. But I would like very much for him and other guys to learn from the man, you find a gym and that's your gym. You find a team and that's your team. And if you go travel somewhere, you do it with them. That's still not great. It is not great to be on airplanes and hotels and different time changes and trying to adjust to new diets and new foods. It's just not great. But it is much better if you do it with the same unit. Do not go over with these guys and come back to these guys. I mean, I know four places that he trained. And I don't agree with any of them. Those are great. Those are great gyms. For sure. What I'm speaking about is if he lives in England, if England is home, find a place to train in England. Oh, and by the way, one that's close to home. This is the secret of success to Stipe Miocic. 100%, not maybe. His involvement with that fire team, where they keep him on a real schedule and don't care that he's famous. It doesn't work that way. He's grabbing him up and he's doing his part. But his involvement with that forces him to be there. He never went on the big media tours, just so you understand. UFC calls up, we got a PR tour, you got to get on an airplane. Everybody else says, yes, Steve has got the world's best excuse. I am a first responder. I can't go. I mean, truly, it's this great thing, but it keeps, he's right there. So now he's in the same gym. He's with the same coaches. It is truly the secret to the longevity 
of Stipe Miocic. It's a very real thing. I do think that Till's going to get another shot. I think that he should get another shot. It doesn't feel like he's last, lost five of his last six. For me, it doesn't feel that way. His media is still good. His interest is still good. His competitive is still look good. Saying that he had a torn ACL. Okay, that would explain the double leg, perhaps. But everybody everybody in there has got to torn something, right? Whether it ever gets disclosed, you find it. Duplices has something that we don't know about. I'm, I, I'm just sharing. I won't use that for an excuse for him, but I don't think that he needs one. I think he's a damn good fighter. I think he's a young guy. I think he's doing his best to sacrifice and work hard, which is what he was told his whole life is what it takes to get to the top. He needs to find a gym. One. One. He needs to go there twice a day, every day, except for Sunday. This is not rocket science. This has been done before. And for all of you that are going to Thailand, and you, go get a treadmill. Save yourself the treadmill. Nick Diaz versus Adesanya. I mean, are you guys here in this rumor, you know, it doesn't work that way. There, there was once a time where it did, where Nick Diaz says I'm going to fight and said the opponent. He got the same treatment as Conor McGregor. I mean, really, in large part, Nick Diaz could, could go out and, and pick an opponent. Now he's calling for Adesanya. But what do you guys think? Because if Nick's doing it, I'm in. Truly. Nick has done triathlons. And I got video footage of it and sat and watched every single second. I mean, truly, if Nick's doing it, I'm in. I think you guys can relate, relate to that. But, but, but hold on a second. There was a little bit of trouble in paradise. On Nick's last contest against Robbie Lawler, which was an incredible fight, and Nick was doing way better than he knew he was doing. But on that fight, it was fight week. I mean, it was Tuesday. It was no earlier than my, well, no, it was for sure. It was Tuesday because it was travel day. Robbie Lawler was on an airplane from Florida to Vegas when he gets contacted that they're going to change the weight class. And Robbie's like, yeah, like gives him a thumbs up, right? Robbie Lawler couldn't have cared less, but it was an interesting thing. And it was, it was a little bit problematic. Why is Nick one of the consummate professionals and biggest veterans in the sport? truly has been doing this longer for more rounds and more contests than almost anybody on the roster. Why is he not on weight? It was a question. And like a lot of Nick Diaz, you, you never get the answer. And I, I was never satisfied with the answer that we got here, but, but it is very real that I bring it up. A triathlete who let us know he was coming back, and by the way, when he was going to do the comeback, was leaning towards 155 pounds, decided to stay at 170. Now, all of a sudden, can't make the weight it needs it contractually changed. It's an interesting question. Why? What happened there? Was he hurt? Was he injured? Did he eat more? Did he change his diet? I mean, all of these things are very relevant, but the scale does matter. When a guy comes in, particularly that has been on a layoff, and he tips the scale heavier than he's ever been. You will not find me an example, and you can even bring boxing into it. You will not find me an example where that contest went well. So I thought we had a pretty good answer, quite frankly, without ever getting one. But I felt like we all knew he'd been out. He's been laid off. I mean, at the same time period, we're seeing the same thing. It's just a guy called Conor McGregor. 
You're wondering why, why Connor's falling down against Dustin Poirier. Connor hadn't been in there. The tools aren't sharp. We understand those things. Okay, great, because we're going to fix them, right? Team Diaz, we're going to learn from the mistakes of the past, and we're not going to take that break again. Real simple. We're going to use the Robbie Lawler contest to shake off the ring rust and use that as a springboard to go forward. We're in. I'm in. Every, but this works, and that fight was really good. It was really, Nick did not know how well he was doing that fight. Okay, great. Dana came out and made a comment right after that. He said, I don't know if Nick's going to fight again. And it wasn't, for the first time ever, it wasn't from a perspective of I don't know what Nick wants to do. Now, this is a period of time ago, and this is off the top of my head, but I'm very good at this. My memory is shockingly impressive, and I, I'm telling you, Dana made a comment, but it was from a stance of Dana was making that call, which Dana had never done towards Nick Diaz. It was always an open door, and it was even an excitement of wanting to get it done. Dana said, I don't know if we're going to do this again. I remember that. And I thought that, you know, Nick would make the phone call or Caesar Gracie would jump on the phone. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Say some of the things that I just said. Hey, we were out for a minute and the weight is, you know, it, it, we're, it, we're, the ring rust is off. We're ready to go. We're using that one. And the toothpaste would go back in the tube, but that call never came. So Nick has now come out and said that he's going to fight Adesanya. Says he's going to do it in 2023. Now, once upon a time, that would be done. I mean, if everybody was serious, that would be done. The problem with Nick fighting Adesanya is Adesanya is the champion of the world, and Nick is not going to be able to walk into the weight class and fight for the belt. And I'm telling you this because the first time you heard Nick talk about Adesanya was when Adesanya was the champion of the world, and Nick was going to have to walk in and fight for the belt. Now Adesanya doesn't have the belt. It is a very different landscape. You could get Adesanya and Nick Diaz together. Absolutely. When there's not the title, you can go ahead and, and do that match. And when Nick called for this match last night, it was the first thing I thought, hey, Adesanya, I got to remind myself, Adesanya's not the champion. Hey, Adesanya's not the champion. You could do that fight. There wouldn't be foul ball there. They would go for that. And an X is an O fight of Nick versus anybody, when you know it's going to be a stand-up fight, just has people's interest. Simple as that, right? You all agree with the statement I just made. Well, some bitch, I start thinking about it. Does Nick know that Adesanya doesn't have the belt? And that's a real question by me. I had to remind myself that Izzy got beat. You know, real brief, but there's Miller. Oh, that's right, you know, Alex Pierre. Does Nick know that he doesn't have the belt for one? Is Nick serious? And that's important to know because if Nick does, in fact, know that Adesanya doesn't have the belt, he will then, in fact, know that that match could get made. He's going to know that people are going to be very interested in that match. And now, there's some hurdles before you guys think I'm announcing Nick versus Adesanya. I'm just talking about the fact that Izzy isn't the champion. When Nick first started calling for this fight, he had lost to Lawler and said he's coming back to fight for the championship against Izzy. That just wasn't going to work. So we're in a different time. We've still got some challenges with this match, but it could be done, Absolutely. And I think of everything that we heard there, I give you all of that buildup just to get to my point, which is Nick is apparently now a middleweight. Why? Is that the right move? Anytime a guy has been out for a period of time and he comes back heavier than he's previously been, and Nick had only competed at 185 one time in his whole career. It happened to be his previous fight, but that was five years ago against Anderson Silva. 
So if this is his new weight class, okay, great. I'm not going to go make a whole huge thing about this, but there's not a lot of times in history where with a break, if you change your physiology and you get bigger, guys, it's calories into calories out. And if those calories aren't going out, the question becomes why? What isn't happening? Are the runs not happening? Is the diet changed? It's, it's, it's one of those conversations, but it's very relevant to have because if Nick came back and got the jump on Adesanya, you come in as, okay, who's next for Nick? Nick is apparently a 185 pound. I think it's a fun topic. Before you think you have to leave a comment or pick out the problems with Nick versus, uh, please don't. We're just having fun. We're just having a conversation, but Nick has announced that he would like to come back. He's announced who his opponent's going to be. He gave a loose date of 2023. In fact, let me guess, it will probably be in March. But there's something there. And before we, we, we start to get too excited, you do have to remember the last statement Dana made on Nick. and was just, just on the back end of his performance with Robbie Lawler. But there was a resistance for the first time ever from the boss. From a standpoint of this is my decision. So you were going to have to work through a, a few things. And any part of that could change the story still works. Okay, take Adesanya off. He doesn't qualify for Adesanya. Okay, fine. take Adesanya. Let's, let's find somebody else and put in there. But if we do that, I think that we're going to be looking at middleweight. And I think it's an interesting host of problems. Before you bring in a contender, it's probably going to take a contender to get Nick's interest. But before you bring in a contender and give him the opportunity to get beat by a guy who you don't know if he's going to be back. Just a lot to think about. That's all I'm sharing. A lot of interesting parts there. That's all I'm sharing. But it was rumored that Nate was going to get his promoter's license. You get those brothers on the same card, it doesn't really matter what they do. You have something interesting there. You get those brothers on the same card, you put them against the Paul brothers, you're a real exciting night of business. And the fact that Nick, talking about coming back, he's talking about doing it in the UFC. He wasn't talking about it, doing it, and what, what Nate was be rumored to have going. I, I think that's interesting. Because perhaps Nate has changed his plan about going in that direction. Perhaps. So when Nick says he wants to fight Adesanya in 2023, I think you're hearing a message of the Diaz's are back. Nick returns to the UFC. I would have every belief that Nate would. And I think within that little statement of Nick saying he'd like to fight Adesanya in 2020, within that little statement, I think there's a lot of guesses we can start to make. And one of those guesses is he's speaking for both the Diaz brothers. close out today's show, we've got a massive main event in the middleweight division this weekend, and I want to finish up by giving you guys a look into the personalities of Jared Cannonier and his opponent, Sean Strickland. Sean Strickland does not make things particularly easy on old jail, right? <laughs> I just want you guys to meet him. I really do. 
I really do. Even just in passing, I hope you see him and you're not intimidated. Right? He's one of the guys that would intimidate you from coming up and saying hello. I hope you go and say hello. Strickland is not only not crazy. Okay? Strickland's not only a decent guy. Strickland's a gentleman. That's not a word that you can just throw around. You want to. You want to be one yourself. But it's not one you can use. I put him as far as he's respectful. He's soft-spoken. I mean, I'm just sharing for you this Strickland that you're seeing, right? I would never come out of Bust a Guy's gimmick ever, particularly one that's working this well. He just got starched, and he's returning to a main event on the worldwide leader of ESPN, right? I mean, like, things are going very well for Sean Strickland. But there's a level of crazy that goes too far. And he went to sink his teeth into the I'm crazy market, which I must admit for you, I never knew existed, right? I didn't know the everyman market existed when Roy Nelson came out and started rubbing his belly and growing his hair. Like, I didn't know that. I thought Roy's going to get teased. Roy's going to get laughed at. No, you know what Roy got for years? It was a standing ovation. That's what he got. But I would I would have had that one wrong. I would have predicted that wrong. I would have been on the school of camp of Roy, get a haircut. So I tell you that because I just simply didn't know there was a market out there. There's a main event guy, I'm talking about Sean Strickland, there's a main event guy who's taking the, I'm a, I'm a wild card, I'm a madman. And it turned out you guys are really into it. Like it is really fun to watch. I see it from a different perspective because I know Sean and I care about Sean and I don't want Sean to get in his own way, which is possible to do. It is possible to do, and I know what you're thinking, the UFC doesn't get into politics. I, I, I hear you on that, but it's ran by human beings that have their conscious level, which are the ones that tell you they don't get involved, but they have a subconscious level that they can't do anything about. They don't even know that it's happening. I mean, there is a level where Sean could go too far. Quite frankly, yesterday, Sean reeled it back in. I don't watch Sean interviews when my children are in the room. I just don't know what he's going to say. Now, by no means did he go G-rated, but I'll tell you, for a Sean interview, that media scrum he did yesterday, and it was so fun. It was so fun. There's an energy around him. There's an openness, a wildness. There's an authenticness. You know, people have argued that the reason you love Nate Diaz as much as you do is because he's real. He's just straight. It might be polite. It might not. It might be somewhere in between. But but he, but here's the answer to your question. If I'm not going to tell you the truth, I just won't show up and do the interview, right? Like there is an authenticness that you can sense. So Sean comes out, and even though it's a bit of a care, even though it's a bit of an angle that he's playing up, there's some very interesting things, including this. You know, they'll they'll ask him about. Jared Cannon and I get I guess Sean's like a trash talking guy. I mean, I guess that's the category you'd put him in as trash talk. Well, not so fast. They asked him about his specific opponent. They asked him about Jared Cannon here, and he said, Man, this this guy is frightening. This guy is a handful. Now, Sean plans to go and stand up and trade with Cannoneer. He plans to go out and kickbox. And I'm always surprised how many of you put Strickland into the category of great grappler. He's a kickboxer. He prefers to kickbox. He'll tell anybody that will listen he's going to go kickbox. But for some reason, when I continue to read on the dirt sheets, when I continue to read things said about him, over on the underground, 
which is a bunch of smart, legitimate fans on the underground. They do talk about that. They talk about his takedowns. They talk about his grappling. And it just surprises me because that's really not his bread and butter. And he talked about that with Jared. He talked about how frightening it was. He talked about, you know, the fears that he got because he's, you know, just got knocked out. But he said, I'll fight Pierre the same way. I just put this hand right here instead of leaving it down. It was an interesting comment. Like, I don't think he's going to buckle. I don't think he's going to wilt. On the idea, which happens to a lot of them, which is I got knocked out. I've got to change things. I just don't think that's going to happen with Strickland. And this is a tall order. I mean, Jared Cannon here got dealt off the bottom of the deck for sure. But he also went 25 minutes. He also did it wide awake. He's also returning to a main event. I mean, it would be seemingly less pressure for Cannoneer. And I think that Sean Strickland, who was previously booked in a feature match, meaning scheduled for 15 minutes, for him to go to that into a main event against the number one contender coming off of a knockout, I think I just think it's a lot. And I think it would wilt most men. I don't think it's going to affect Sean Strickland, right? I mean, that's the good part to being crazy. That's the part they don't ever want to talk about. Fighting is very tough. The more intellectual the athlete is, the more he cannot. I think about other things, but not this. This I'm just going to go do. I'm not careless, but I care less than he does. It's beneficial. I think the Strickland was very fun. I think that you guys enjoyed him. I think the other side of that scrum is this is a very legitimate order. Both of these guys have been given a second life. They both lost their last fight, and they both returned to a main event. That is extremely rare, and it's hard to do. It's also appropriate. One lost to Izzy. The other lost to Piera. It's very appropriate that those guys don't stumble too far. However... When you catch an opportunity, lightning in a bottle expression, you don't catch it twice. If somebody falls down in this one, they're not returning to a main event. There's a lot of chips on the table. And in this situation between Strickland and Cannoneer, those chips are all in. Now, let me share this from my perspective, just to personalize it. I'm working ESPN one night. We have a guest that comes on set. It's Jared Cannonier. I had never met Jared, but I love his story, and I enjoy getting to bring it to you guys. I mean, this was a man that was driving truck in Alaska with a dream of MMA where he was competing in matches at heavyweight. Without even knowing the rest of the story, okay, if if that's home plate, by the time I get you rounded to third base on this, he's not only an 85-pounder, where I'm not positive he ever stopped off at 205. If he stopped off at 205, I can't think of it off the top of my head. He goes from heavyweight to 185. I don't think you have to correct me on that detail. I'm just sharing for you. It wasn't meaningful at that weight class, and I'm not even positive he hit it. He goes to 85, top guy in the world. I mean, this is a top guy in the world. This is a main eventer who doesn't understand and doesn't do media. He doesn't come out with the the tweets that make everybody laugh and get shared. 
And some of you absolutely love that. And believe it or not, I'm not criticizing it. I'm sharing as part of the story because he didn't do that, but he still made it to the main event. And now he's staying there. And if you slipped co-main events in, you got to go back three years of Jared Cannoneer being on top. All right. Now, when I meet him, when he walks onto the set for ESPN, I extend my hand, I say, I'm chill, and I give him... I give him the pat on the back. My, my, my father used to call that the good buddy. He didn't like it. My father thought you should shake hands and this other hand does nothing. I came around the back. Hey, how you doing, good buddy? All right. Guys, it was like touching. It was like touching a wall. It was unbelievable. And I've heard that expression before. All right, touch that guy. And it's just like touching steel. You know, you hear that, you hear that expression? It's as close as I ever felt. I'm telling you, this man's body and this man's density, and the, it's just that I felt, I'm like right up here on the shoulder, so you kind of get a little of this trap muscle in there. I couldn't believe it. And I even made a comment. I said, what the? Jesus, Jared. You are a dense, strong man. Okay, great. So we have our conversation, and he was so pleasant. He was just this perfectly nice guy. And that's the word on the street about Jared Cannon here. If you guys will remember why Jared fought Israel Adesanya. Do you guys, do you remember that? Adesanya has picked his own fights from the beginning of his career. It has truly been shocking to watch Adesanya maneuver. And there's so many guys that he dislikes that there's never a shortness for someone that's going to come off of Israel's tongue, except for Cannonier. Why did he fight him? Well, it was the exact opposite. They were both guests at a UFC. So the UFC determines where you're going to sit. They just bring you in and go, hey, your, your chair's here, your chair's here. They get sat next to each other, and Adesanya's like, oh, great. Knucklehead in my weight class. I've done this dance before. I'm going to have to put up with this all night long. It was the opposite. Jared was a gentleman. Jared was nice to him. They left on very friendly terms. And Adesanya said, you know what? If I ever have an opportunity, I'm going to give it to that guy. Not I'm going. Not when I have the power, I'm going to make this guy Get in there with me. I'm going to give an opportunity to this guy. And as soon as, as soon as that opened itself, Adesanya followed through and they fought. So I'm just sharing with you. You have, in my own personal experience, but also seemingly in through reputation, you just have a very nice guy. You have a gentleman here. Now, that gentleman doesn't do media and that's relevant. Because he's got an incredible look, right? I work, I lifted weights my whole life trying to look like Jared Cannonier. He's got incredible win-loss. He's made it to the top. He's going to have to take on really hard guys. And it's tough, even with those ingredients, to not do media and be a main event. Just tough. Not a ton of guys that you can find that do that. Jared comes out yesterday. He does what's called a media scrum. It was after that media scrum that I realized... He should not be doing media. So Jared comes out. I mean, I'm just telling a story. I'm just, I'm just giving you a story as we build and look forward to this weekend. That is my goal over here. But I got to give him a bump, man. It was terrible. He comes out and they ask him about Adesanya versus Alex and specifically the stoppage. And he says, you know what? I can see both sides of it. I can see it's a championship fight. Let him go out on his shield. And I can see the other side, which is, whoa, no, let me stop you right there, Jared. I don't need to hear the other side. That one's wrong. Now, he does finish the thought to say, I can see the other one, which is, he looked like he was in trouble, stop the fight. No, wait, time out. There are not two arguments. So then he went even further. He took like three minutes answering this question. If you ever want to see a guy that hedged his bet, 
You ever want to see a guy that, that dipped his toe in the cold end while dipping his toe in the other end? It was this answer. I could see the argument of him going out on his shield. It's a championship fight. I could see that. But if you left him in there, he might take, he might take more damage. Doesn't need to take that damage. I could see that fight. I could see that argument as well. And he says, I don't have an opinion on the argument. I'm just letting you know I understand the argument. It's like, no, no, you do not. There was nothing about what you just said that is the argument. It has never been spoken. It's a championship fight. Let him go out on his shield. Those words have never been, that's not the argument, which is why I found it so funny. And I really did. I mean, I found this actually humorous. First off, he spent three minutes going absolutely nowhere. He gets to no opinion whatsoever, which to share that opinion is the only reason he was asked the question. So he doesn't give the one thing that he was supposed to do. Oh, and by the way, he states his understanding of an argument. No, he did not. That is not part of the argument. No one is arguing that because it was a championship fight, he should have gone out on his shield. Not to mention the illegality with the fact that you cannot call a match different. It doesn't matter if there's a minute left. It doesn't matter if there's a minute in. It doesn't matter if it's for the belt. It doesn't matter if you're jerking the curtain. The application of the rule must be straightforward and given within the interpretation. Which everybody knows. But apparently he didn't know that we knew that because he said he knew two sides of the argument and he brought in 50% of an argument that's never been made. All right, I've had it with you. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed a week of episodes. And in case you missed anything, all the shows are right here on Spotify and Apple Podcast feeds. Big KSW card this weekend as well as the final UFC card of the year. I'll be back on Tuesday to talk all about that. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.